0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Toro. Two things tour pros hate leaking oil down the stretch and their caddy having to quiet spectators. Golf course maintenance pros are the same, except they worry about literally leaking hydraulic oil and waking up the neighbors with early morning mowing routines. Toro's new Greensmaster e Triflex series riding greens mower solves both problems. The engine generator model is amazingly quiet in operation while the lithium-ion battery model is virtually silent. Both e TriFlex models carry no hydraulic fluid on board using all electric components for traction, steering, lift, and cutting. This means not only are potential leaks a thing of the past, but noise complaints are too. Follow at Toro on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. Welcome back to the fried egg podcast and another edition of our superintendent series. Today's episode is with Josh Smith. Josh is the superintendent at Orinda Country Club, which is in the East Bay of San Francisco. Uh, Josh has been there for a while. He's got a, you know, kind of a rich experience in golf. He's done a lot of stuff. He played college golf. Um, He then worked on golf course, construction crews before becoming a superintendent, getting his start at the California Golf Club of San Francisco, or uh, better known as Cal Club. Also, he's a golf painter, a world-renowned golf painter, as well as the co-founder of Flag Bag, uh, the golf bag company. So this is a conversation about a lot of things, Um, you know, a lot of his experiences in golf. And uh, without further ado, here's Josh Smith. So you're a uh, you're like a renaissance man in in the golf space painter, college golfer. You make uh, you're an entrepreneur. You're a superintendent. Obviously, you did golf course architecture. You you've probably done more in in terms of uh, experience in golf than maybe any individual in the golf space. I'm curious how what the path that led you to becoming a superintendent for your full time job.
1: Okay, so I. Played golf in college, loved it. Um, how short should I make this? Uh, so we oh, got all the time okay. in the world, so, so you don't have to make it short. So, I grew up in Portland and I used to play uh, as a guest at 12th Country Club, which is an H. Chandler Egan golf course. And, uh, we wore out the guest policy, they had to change the junior guest policy because of me. I was getting some glares, and, um, I, I grew up playing like public golf courses. Um, small not little 18-hole muni, and then progress downs. But John Fote was brought in to redesign some holes at H. Chandler Egan's um, Tualatin Country Club, which is a great country club. And he did some really cool work. And I remember seeing him drive out there in his Jeep on the cart path wearing jeans. And I was like, man, that'd be cool to have a job on a golf course where you could wear jeans. Um. So in college, I started seeing like how... Architecture is an actual career, and um, I had that exposure there. What and did you study? I studied business administration, and I minored in psychology at St. Mary's, just okay. fifteen minutes from here. Um, but I, I got it in my senior year. I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to actually get a job, and uh, started buying books like Shackleford's books and some old Tillinghouse books, and that's where my passion was. If I was gonna read anything for fun, I was you know looking at Tillinghouse books and reading about stuff, and
0: it's funny. My wife always because like we we'll sometimes read, and I'll I'll like pull out a golf book, and she's always like, "Don't you ever get tired of it? Don't like, don't you want to read something else?" It's like, "Oh, this one, I'm kind of interested in."
1: Yeah, So <laughs> I'm the same way. And then you know, and then the art, I some art books, but I'm not reading. You know, the books that everyone else is reading. Um, I was reading books my senior year, and then my dad had uh, met someone who was working with Fote's Company, building stuff up in Oregon. And I had an informational interview there. And he said, if you want to get into design, you want to go out and build golf horses for a couple of years, then decide if you want to go back and get your landscape architecture degree. And, um, lo and behold, Wadsworth golf construction was on the West coast at this point. And Tom Chaplin lived here in Orinda and he ran the West coast, um, and interviewed me. And, you know, a few days after graduation, I was in a drainage ditch learning from the ground up. Uh, how to build a golf course. And, um, Andy Staples was on Damon pascuzo's design team, Neil May, 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 There was like five different architects there. And, you know, Andy was about my age, hit it off with him. Uh, so right out of the gate, um, from college, no, no relation to what I studied. It was doing something completely different. My parents were probably beating their heads against the wall. Um, but you know, it was, it was a great fit for me. And, um, and so this is going to be a really long question to get to your answer. No, That's like, fine. This, okay. is,
0: this is why I asked it off the, t- the bat. I, was trying, I figured it would get a, you'd talk it, about a lot of your it life. It wasn't going
1: to be a two-sentence answer. <laughs> so then I I spent five and a half years with Wadsworth, uh, not the two that was recommended. Um, and I was working 58 hours a week. It was always six days a week, a pretty full full-time gig, like only Sundays off. And and I had a girlfriend here and there and um but it would be like eight months here and then five months here and then eight months here where you'd have to travel I got to see wildlife country club for part of that got to build the seven canyons course in Sedona as part of that and that,
0: they were sending you to tough spots those know? were those
1: were the two coolest ones <laughs> w- went to Truckee <laughs> Lake Tahoe and did some work but um And it was feeling pretty good, but then the recession had hit. Um, and then I was trying to make a change. But if you back up to, um, that course at seven canyons, we weren't allowed to work weekends. And so I had a full weekend to figure out how to fill my day. And, uh, i saw, I'd seen a painting in the Phoenix airport, an oil painting of like an Indian woman. And I was like, wow, that's a really rich texture. It's really neat. And I thought, wow, I got so much free time. I should get a hobby. Um, I would go jogging for 10 minutes and then I'd be like, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my weekend? And um, so I called the art store on a weekend. I think it was a Saturday and left a message. She wasn't open and she called me back and said, I can come open the store if you if you want. I mean, I'm right nearby. So I went and met her at the art store and she sold me a beginner set of oil paints
0: Had you painted as a kid, like an art class Were like you good at painting as a kid? Like, was that something that you were talented at as like, do you, do your parents remember you being good at art and stuff like that?
1: I was always like the second best artist in my class. I was never, I never painted, but I was not as good as the other guy who was drawing like cool cartoons and other stuff, but I was into it and I had a little knack for it, but never had painted. Um, And right away, I just started really enjoying it. And I was going to be the contrarian. I wasn't going to go and paint a green golf course. Uh, so I, I started painting like a cowboy scene and then Pacific dunes was under construction. And I saw a photo in one of the magazines of, uh, Sandy Pacific dunes without any grass. I was like, okay, cowboys and Indians. That's fun. I love golf starting to paint Pacific dunes without grass. I'm now I'm going to paint Seven Canyons Without Grass with the red rock and dirt and the bunker shaping with Weisskopf and Phil and Smith. And uh, within two weeks, I was showing Weisskopf and the owners my paintings. I was pretty proud of what I was doing. And they were like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, you're doing, doing nice work. You're brand new to this. And those paintings are in my garage now, and they're, they didn't really amount to much. But I had this passion about it, and I was spending the whole weekend uh, painting from like 7 a.m. I'd put on the Bruce Springsteen dvd my mom got me and i just like paint all day long
0: is there something about like the painting process that you really enjoy like i imagine there's you know a lot of different layers to it but is there something about it that you know particularly you think spoke to you at the at a point where you know i imagine doing the construction stuff like you're on the road there's a a loneliness aspect because you have these weekends to fill your girlfriends not necessarily with you you know, was the, you know, is there something about painting that you think that just particular spoke to you?
1: I think it's a good fit. I mean, I am not an um, an extrovert, and uh, I can spend time by myself listening to music. I really enjoy listening to music, and um, the painting process is just like it's so fun. It's there's there's mathematics involved at the beginning, so you kind of need to make sure things are in the right spot. Um, there's this period where Yeah, I think most painters, the first number of hours, you just it looks crappy. Like you're not, you could just give up and start something new because it it just starts out kind of slow and rough. And um, then if you just keep, it's kind of like in life. I mean, you keep working on it, keep fine tuning the areas that are your weak, the weaknesses And the painting. All of a sudden, two days in, it's starting to look pretty cool.
0: I talked to Don Plasek about you know how he draws a few months ago and like how he takes something 2D and makes it feel real like golf and show features and stuff. How do you kind of bring those paintings to life and make them feel like three dimensional are there tricks like, you know, I'm I'm looking at these paintings right behind you as as we talk and, you know, just like how do you create that kind of like um third dimension?
1: Um, I, it took me a couple of years to start to learn that better. I mean, Mike DeVries, I remember telling me I had a Valley club painting and, and the clubhouse was really tight. He's like, you know, that shouldn't, it should look more fuzzy. It shouldn't look so tight. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's a building, Mike, it's supposed to have sharp edges. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I'm like, you know, he was right. And that shouldn't look so tight. And that's one of the tricks is when, T- televisions first came out. Mm-hmm. No, the, the more recent televisions where it's like, what's it called? High def. Mm-hmm. Part of me thinks that they've, all they've done is fuzz out the background. And then it oh, just like looks that, more, like
0: oh, that super new camera that you see when they score a touchdown and it looks so real up front. And then it looks so. It,
1: yeah. yeah. I, I almost think that that whole high def TV was actually a joke. And they, all they did was blur out the background and keep the foreground, the exact same crispness. Cause that's really the trick in painting is to fuzz out the background with colors and with like brush strokes I think and then keep it crisp in the front I think that's the goal and um, my favorite oil one of my favorite oil painters when I was kind of getting into it was Albert Bierstadt and um, and one thing I noticed about his paintings was like there was always a very very light and a very very dark part to the painting like almost black and almost bright white so I'm trying to get to that Um, most paintings so help you help your eye kind of navigate but end up kind of steering your eye toward where you want the paint, the, uh, the viewer to see.
0: It's, it's interesting because yeah, it, it like tells a very, it's a, if you think about it as a story, it's like, that's the focal point of the story and everything else around it kind of helps promote that. And it's then, so when you look at a picture and you say you want to do a painting, are you looking when, cause you know, yours is an artistic representation of a picture or what you're seeing out there you're looking to figure out what you think is the most important thing to highlight about a, a s- certain scene.
1: Yeah, I think that that's part of it. And um, I've always thought that like, you want to have a few different planes crossing, like you want to have like at least, you know, uh, some zigzagging going on with layers. And you guys always talk about layers. Um, it's funny. I'm thinking about the same thing in painting. Cause it's like, if you just have one open field without a foreground background, no hills in the distance. It's, it's a little harder to make sense of that and make it interesting to people. But getting back to how I got into maintenance. Um, so after a five and a half years, I was kind of the recession had hit and they said, Hey, we have a job in LA if you want to go run a backhoe. And I was like, I was kind of more of a superintendent and like on that path, construction superintendent. And I had a girlfriend at the time and I was like, you know, I, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to do that. I got to figure out my next step. And, um, I had already taken up oil painting and during that period I was painting and for about five, four or five months I was painting every day. I'd get a bagel and I'd just paint it all the time without it, without an actual job uh, in, in this interim where I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. A and, true starving
0: artist. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I wrote two emails and I don't remember who the second one was to, but I wrote an email to Tom Doak um, asking career advice and showed him a couple of the Pacific Dunes paintings I had done. By this point, I was painting grass in there, but I wasn't putting the flag stick in. I was still trying to be contrarian and something new, like really just showing the, the natural landscape and not just a golf course. So I wasn't putting the flag stick in. And uh, he wrote back. He said, hey, I don't know if you have any better offers, but I'd like to buy one of your paintings. And if you can hang around, uh, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be at San Francisco Golf Club in two months, and we'll do some bunker work, and we'd love to have you help us out. And that was like you know exactly what you wanted to hear. I mean, no one really knew who Tom Doak was.
0: How did you know working on construction crews and t- with the with contractors differ from working on construction crews with Renaissance Golf Design and Tom? <laughs> was there a different culture? How was the you know what was just the general feel and similarities, differences?
1: It was um it's quite a bit different, but you know. Take it a step further. I, I got I used to go up to Bandon since it opened in ninety nine. So I would drive up on a weekend by myself. Um and this one particular weekend it was around Christmas, and uh and I was building golf courses down here for you know five to seven million dollar budgets and and I had heard that Pacific Dunes was gonna be built for like one point five or whatever, but I think I heard that after the fact. But I I was playing Bandon Dunes, didn't really know Pacific Dunes was getting built. Um, and I met a girl, a, a hostess there and she said, Hey, if you, uh, we're going to be at this bar in Bandon later, if you want to come meet up, there's a Bandon uh, employee Christmas party and then we're all going to be at this bar. So I show up at this bar. I think I might've played nine holes the whole weekend cause I think it was a rainy weekend if I recall. And I went into this bar and, and this girl's not there. And I was like, Oh man, she, she totally stood me up. This is, this is awkward, but. I'm here. Uh, I might as well grab a drink and see if I, she might show up later. So I went to the bar, grabbed a drink and sit next to three guys. And one of them is Brian Slonick. And then there's two interns from Ireland who are doing some native plantings. And I, and I randomly, you know, bump into Slonick and I said, Hey, uh, I'm, my name is Josh. Do you guys work at Bannon Dunes? And he's like, No, we don't work at Bannon Dunes, but we're building a golf course nearby. And I was like, Oh, no way. Uh, well, I built, I help build golf courses. And, uh, we had a nice chat, had a couple beers. The girl never showed up and he said, why don't you come out tomorrow and I'll show you around what we're doing at Pacific dunes. And so I drive out there in this shiny, shiny, um, truck that we had rented, you know, the golf court, the golf construction company had rented. And he's like, wow, you're driving this truck. It's this a nice truck. And, uh, get out there and just, that was such a different way of building a golf course. I was just like, Holy cow, like we're spending three times four times as much, and you're building this on the ocean. They're just raking out there's twelve. I was looking at twelve green, lower eight green, no, eleven green, lower eight green, flag stick, the real flag sticks in there, and the bunkers are just it's all the sand that's there. And I'm just like, this is so different. This is amazing. I was so glad to see this. And then um at the time I was like, wow, this is so different. I want to be involved in more of this type of work.
0: So you you go to dinner with 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 Tom and his crew in Stanford, and then I was just curious, like you know, the differences in in terms of you know, obviously, it seems you're doing it for less cost, but was there like a you know, were they doing things just distinctly different outside of being you know, was it more thoughtful or more craftsmanship?
1: It wasn't a ton different. Mm-hmm. Um, there just wasn't that. It was more of like you know, Jim Rabina was. They're running it. And then we had maintenance guys from San Francisco golf club doing a lot of the work and another shaper, Eric Iverson came in for a little while. But other than that, it was more just kind of like you cut into the chase. There wasn't like the, the staking and the, the plan that you're taking measurements off of. It was more like Jim was going to lead it because of what he saw and his, we had the old maps and we had the scale, the ruler scale to show, you know where these bunkers went on the second fairway. And the bunkers were working on on the 12th hole, 13th hole also. But it was a little different in that regard. Um, there wasn't kind of the layer, the other layers built in of like the staking, the maps. It was more like a ruler, paint gun, and then they worked pretty quickly. It was the architect himself doing the work. It wasn't like the the um, talented um, operator doing the work. It was the architect himself.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so you started working for, for Tom at, at San Francisco and where did that lead you into some other directions? Like how did, how did your kind of career continue to advance before you got into turf?
1: So I still like that work was done, you know, a month and a half in and, uh, I asked Bob the superintendent, Hey, you mind if I stay on for a little while? Um, he's like, yeah, let me, let me double check. That'll work. And I stayed on for a month. I go out and play every Monday and, uh, and then went. Then Doke and Urbina went to Claremont to do some work, and I went over there and helped out for like three days. Um, and uh, got to see Claremont. Got ex- you know, got hired onto their payroll for just a few days, and they were all kind of like, "Hey, would you put this guy on your payroll? He's he knows what he's doing, and he's local." And um, so I did some work there, and then then I was on another little break, and and Mike DeVries had been doing um, Metal Club over five years, and he was doing like three greens every year. And they were on their last uh, year, um, so it was a six-month project, and I got you know involved in that. I think I I'd met Mike Devries um, through Mark Tholley, who works for Kyle Phillips, and um, and Mike you know got me onto the payroll at Meadow Club, and and uh, and I was doing like low frills jobs. I was moving plywood around and watching how they were keeping you know saving sod, cutting sod, moving it to the side, doing the work and putting the sod back. And that's, you know, every little piece of this journey is like, I've learned something that I'm probably going to use somewhere else and um, hit it off with my, you know, Sean Tully over there and, um, and Mike, you know, great, great guys. And um, so I spent, you know, another six months at Meadow Club. And then, then I was, I had another period where I was like trying to figure out what to do, went to Los Altos Country Club. Where Julie Angster's brother runs, Mike Simpson runs that place really well. Spent six months there, I think. And um, Thomas Bastis from Cal Club, uh, he had been at Moraga Country Club, which is right up the street here. And Kyle Phillips, Mark Thalley, they did two holes when I was with Wadsworth. I met those two guys, got along well. Thomas was the superintendent there at the time. And so we had a connection. And then he'd reach out Hey, I'm at Cal Club now would you want to get into greenskeeping? Like I've got an opening. You could be, you know, basically he tried to get me to come out there once before. And I, I got lost. It took me an hour to get there. I was like, this is just too far to, to drive. It was before you had your phone that could tell you where everything was. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't go this far. This is way too far. And then I swear, uh, just not knowing what to do. I went to Golfsmith and got a job for two months and was selling $500 drivers. And, but I liked the old stuff and, knew that my wife my current wife was like what are you doing you're working at golfsmith you have a college education <laughs> you know from st mary's and um and thomas called again and he said hey we might be doing a project out here with Kyle Phillips uh there's going to be a vote and we're going to figure out if we're going to do anything and man if if, it, if the vote went through great you'd be a huge boon to to our process if it doesn't, why don't I just teach you the, the ropes anyway on greenskeeping and, you know, give you a little leg to stand on. Cause you know, you, I think you might like it. And, um, so I went out there and I said, like, yeah, this time I'm taking the job. I got there in 35 minutes and I was like, this is yeah, closer better, than better gonna, route that time. <laughs> this is closer <laughs> than I thought it was. And Mark Tholly had been a, become a good friend at that time. He's like, no way you're going to take the job. We're, hopefully we get to do this work. And, uh, And it was so cool because Kyle had that, the Cape hole, which was built on a dump that the golf course didn't use. There was a bunch of eucalyptus trees, just barrels and things. The seventh hole. Seventh hole was in a piece of the property that no one had ever been who was a member. It was a dump. People would go up there and take breaks and, you know, eat their lunch. And And he had this idea, this vision that there could be a hole up there when he moved the driving range. And so... I'm getting a phone call from Kyle. Would you would you create a painting that is gonna show what this seventh hole we have in mind will look like? Same week I'm starting work for Thomas trying to learn the ropes from the ground up, and he's like, I need this painting done in two weeks. And and Thomas is like, Well, you're gonna just put in full days here, right? I'm like, Well, he needs the painting done in two weeks, and it's all to the same benefit. So I end up like leaving work early one day to to keep working on Kyle's painting. So I do a painting of the seventh hole that they're going to show the membership. Um, and Ken Venturi is there and Aaron Oberholzer's there. And I, they get it framed and they put it up and then the vote happens like the next day. And, you know, whether the painting... You know, flip the tide i don't know but it helped
0: it, didn't, to... it sounded like it was at the time a very controversial decision and speaking with al it was just a episode earlier like it was not it was not a unanimous decision and there are a lot of you know some some angry members about that who who left and you know from from the club's perspective turned into like kind of a good riddance uh type of thing but you know, the, uh, it probably helped a ton. I mean, like you were effectively like on the early, like everybody does renderings now, like, and they're trying, you know, it seems like people are now using those video games to do rendering to show to clubs and everything.
1: Yeah, no, it was, it was so cool. Cause they, he, dr- moving the driving range was very, uh, controversial. The members were like, well, I can't just make a, I can't just show up and get a game together because the range is going to be 400 yards away. But you know, if there's one thing that Kyle is really excels at, it's that big picture. And I mean, what a great decision to to do that work. Um, you know, not everyone knows, but we we shifted the sixth green about fifteen feet on a diagonal, re rebuilt the same contours. But that's where the old eighth tee used to be. It was the seventh hole at that time. Now it's the sixth hole. I shot the whole grid on that green. We shifted that thing, and it's one of the coolest places on the whole golf course. Um, but that's that was the start, and um, you know, thank God. Thomas was allowing me to do all that, and it was to the mutual benefit. And um, sure enough, the vote passed, and and it was amazing. Like, you know, I got to meet Kyle Franz. Uh, we were trying to figure out who was going to do the shaping, and um, James Duncan's name came up, and Kyle Franz, n- not someone I knew, uh, he showed up, and he and I were laying out the fairway bunker on 14 together. Well, prior to that, we sprayed Roundup on the whole golf course. And George Waters came into town. He had a uh, a tea time set up at the Peninsula Golf Club, and Kyle, friends, and George knew each other, and so I got to meet George. We played golf. It was on Masters, one of the Masters weekend days. We played golf there, and I was like, "You guys should come back to Cal Club, and I'll show you like show you what's going on." And so I was living above the pro shop at that time, and we watched part of the Masters, and then we went out and played. It was like the day before we started construction because the whole thing was completely yellow and rounded up and and George was like, wow, this is really cool. And so George ended up getting that second shaping job. Um didn't know much about Kyle Club at the time. And you know, Kyle Franz, like I would say pound for pound, he's the best young architect working. I don't know all of them, but man, he he had so much skill. And uh I was in charge of overseeing the bunker work and he was doing shaping 80 yeah George did a lot of them, but he did probably 60, 70% of the bunkers. Uh, Kyle Franz, we called him Alistair McFrancis. <laughs> and uh, we didn't have to do much. It was more of that um, restraint. Like when I'm painting the edges after he was done, it was like, all right, don't touch that, don't touch that, round that off a little bit, don't touch that, don't touch that. And that was one of the coolest things about Cal Club. We didn't buy any sod, so we hydro the whole thing and we did all the bunker work in house. Um, so I was leading up that team. We did the drainage, we did the liner. We installed the sand, we hydro the faces. Um, and Alistair got it so close and it was just like easy. Yeah. And uh so so fun to be a part of all that. And you know, the whole fine fescue thing was amazing. Dave Wilbur respect that. Um and he had a couple other grasses in there. The fine fescue has won out, and I'm, you know, being a huge bandon fan from day one, so happy to be involved in in a golf club, taking a chance on that grass, um, I, no one would go back on that decision. It's amazing, yet many golf courses are still like, "Oh, it's not good for traffic." I don't know what how it would work. Um, so it's yeah. Looking back, it was so cool to be involved in that.
0: Now, for a quick word from our sponsor Toro, those big agricultural tractors you see working on a golf course. With their clutch and complicated lever-pulling sequences and a turf maintenance application, they're like stepping onto the first tee not knowing which swing you have that day. Toro's new Outcross 9060 can do everything those clunky tractors can, but with tons less stress on the operator and on the turf. With automotive controls and programmable attachment parameters, even rookies on the crew can be trusted with aerating, top dressing, mowing grass, loading sand, and removing snow from around the clubhouse in the winter. The Toro Outcross 9060 is like having all your best golf shots saved, ready for use each and every round. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. You're talking about supervising, you know, bunker shaping. And it's, you know, what you said earlier sticks out to me is like how every experience to, you know, this point, you picked up something that helped you later. And I imagine all the all the work in golf, golf construction. But I, I have to imagine painting also helps with, you know, the way you look at a bunker versus some other people where you know you're focusing in and that becomes that focal point that you're creating the painting around almost.
1: Uh, there's got to be something to that, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm and just being passionate about it. I I worked with an architect to remain nameless, uh, we built a golf course together and he would paint the bunkers and just move straight to the next hole. He wouldn't even go back to the tee or the fairway and look at those bunkers you just painted. And I was like, "Wait, this is such a key element of what you're building. You, you're just going to Drop some paint and then move straight to the next hole. Like you got to go back, and so being into it, being passionate about it, is what you know that what that's what makes Kyle Franz so good. That's what makes you so good about what you're doing. That's what makes me a a decent painter and a hopefully a good Very superintendent.
0: Very good painter. You yeah, know? <laughs> I think you're, you're excelling at many things. I think
1: that's where the passion. I mean, it's just kind of like you know my my life backwards makes a ton of sense, but going forward it just didn't make much sense you know the, the bunch of money on college then going to be in a drainage ditch and then going to rutgers to get my tier degree like just you know st mary's played a part but it was like not really what i'm doing right now
0: when did you do the rutgers thing
1: so that was part of thomas's thing he's like you know if, if you come out here we'll learn the ropes things if you like it uh, we will help you go through rutgers so there's two winter uh there's a there's a now uh,
0: they're online.
1: Oh, they online now. So yeah. sorry. They were there's a two winters in a row, you went for ten weeks at a time and to it, New Jersey. To New Jersey. The
0: California okay, Pacific Northwest and California guy going to yeah. going to New Jersey. Had to be just
1: And I think I was engaged <laughs> during one of those years and maybe married during the other year, but it was definitely engaged and my wife's like, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> but I ended up having like I studied and had a good memory, so I like I got really good grades there. And in college, I got like pretty good grades, decent grades. But there I got like really good grades. And um, so anyway,
0: it's amazing how much easier school type things get as you get older and have work experience, you know, and you are
1: more into it and it actually applies to what you're trying to do.
0: Yeah, it makes you like real. I always think about this as like how much better I'd be at school now than when I went to school. It's like I'd be just you know I'd be so into it and I'd be you know so much better of a student because like you you've, you've taken you know what real responsibility is. Yeah, it's uh so so you get your turf degree basically part time and 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 I think that's what a lot of superintendents do now, right?
1: Right. I mean, I think it's been a great way to to get in. Um, you know. I don't know. It's like I studied business to be safe. And um, then i kind of, I say I kind of like backstepped into greenskeeping and it's a, it's a great fit for me. I needed something to get on the resume, Uh, all my construction background and my, and, and that was huge on my resume, but I had to have a degree.
0: Can you, do you have any stories that particularly stand out with, with Kyle and, uh, and George and um, Thomas?
1: Um, There's a bunch of good stories. Um, you know, I think the funniest one personally was where Kyle Franz and I disagreed on a on the front left bunker on twelve, that one that sits in the face of the hill, and he had shaped it really nice, and I was like, "It just the angle isn't right, man." It's like I'm looking at this aerial. This is definitely an L shape. I I was adamant that it should be this way. That that bunker on twelve, which is like one of my favorite holes, and he was like, "I've already shaped it. I'm in love with it. It's great." don't, don't even try and make me change that. And I'm like, dude, it's not right. It's not right. And he, he walked off and took his headphones off and chucked them at me. And it just talks about the passion that we both have. Neither one of us are fighters, but we, we both wanted that bunker the way we wanted it. And, um, that was a funny story with Kyle. Um, uh, another good story, which is less about the architecture. Um, Thomas would drive around with his dog Hogan at the time and, um, our assistant pro when we was in house projects, our assistant pro was helping with Hydro seating. And he was, uh, hydro seating this day. And Thomas rolls by with his window down and the dog's inside. And, and David like runs the hydro seater hose and it sprays right through Thomas's truck, through the dog and himself. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's just like one of those classic moments. Um, I'll think, I'll think of some other ones, but yeah, uh, Al Jameson was, was exactly as he's portrayed. You know, he was the mastermind. He got it all got everyone gathered around the same way Thomas did. And he would show up every Friday night with pizza and beer. So we'd cut off about four 30 every Friday night. And he'd be like, Hey guys, come up to the the top above the pro shop where I was living. I got beer. Two other members are here. want to hear about the week. And he, uh, yeah, it was so, so cool. I mean, you don't, I don't think you run into that anywhere.
0: And it's the culture of the whole. I think that's the, which you know, is the thing that, you know, sticks with, with Cal club. When you go there is like how, How golf centric it is but you know it it wasn't like that before the thing and it all started with the you know the renovation had you know great culture with the crew and everybody involved you know you got your assistant pro out there pitching in so after after Cal club that's when you came here to orinda
1: yeah it was like the you know the the economy had tanked there weren't many jobs opening up um and so i was there for seven and a half years one year where the golf course was kind of like orinda where it's a mix of grasses uh the old Cal club then we had 15 to 18 months of, of construction and then i stayed on for like five years we grew it in you know got the maintenance practices going right kept the poa out of the greens and miraculously the fescue just kept getting better every year and uh i i applied for one other job and interviewed um and uh, Arinda reached out uh so thomas called me in one one afternoon and said hey you got to hear this voice message so on the voicemail was like hey the, the old superintendent, Bob Lappick, who was here, he had called Thomas and said, hey, we think Josh could be uh, a good candidate to kind of come in and learn the ropes and and stay here after I'm gone. And so I interviewed against one other guy. And the irony of it all is that I've been living 10 minutes away and just driving past it and had played here in college uh, 17 years prior every Tuesday and um, didn't know any members. So I, was, I came to a wedding here, but I hadn't been here to play golf the one time we did come here was when, you know, Jim or being in Tom Doak, they love to visit golf courses when they're in the area. And I told Jim, Hey, have you ever been to a country club? It's William Watson, 1924. He's like, no, let's go. So somewhere in that 17 year period, Jim and I came over here and knocked on the pro shop door and, and said, Hey, we're, we just like to see the golf course. So they called down to Bob Lappick who I ended up replacing after working along with him. And he, he showed, he's like, Oh, Jim or I know who you are. And so he drove us around. And, um, and so that was the only two times I've been back was for a wedding and to show Jim or around. And then I got a chance to interview and got the job.
0: <laughs> what, uh, what stood out to you about, you know, the opportunity to here. And obviously you guys have done substantial restoration work since, since coming on.
1: Uh, you know, immediately I was like, I'd remembered a lot about it, but there was less trees this time around. And, um, and the two creeks that flow through the property are like so cool. It's like amazing. Um, so it's like, oh my gosh, it's almost like cooler than Cal club. Can I say that? It's like you have these natural features that Cal club didn't have. I'm like, and it's really close to my house and it's William Watson. I was reading about William Watson that he grew up eight miles from St. Andrews and like competed on the old course. And I think old Thomas, all Tom Morris was working at the time and Donald Ross had been there or whatever. And so I knew that, I just knew that it was a special place all along, and um, and I love you know the golden age golf, and um, that's what I wanted to be working in, and um, so I mean yeah, there was less trees, uh, there was a lot of cart path uh, everywhere. There was cart path, and there was it was not, it wasn't nice cart path. It was either too narrow or cracked up, and in view the intersection on the second hole, which you'll see when you're out there today it looked like it should be a bunker. It's like, you're looking into the seventh hole and you see all this gray, white, like, Oh, that'd look cool if it was a bunker, but no, it's just asked. I mean, it's just concrete. It's like awful. Um, and the 17th tee shot, it was like, you're aiming over a cart path and the, the tie in work was so bad on the cart path work. So you had these great bones, but some of the work in between specifically cart paths and tees and fences, um, really had taken away from what they had in the twenties. And so, um, Todd Eckenrode had already been hired, which is great. They had already had a project scheduled. Um, and I got to start giving my input ahead of time as I got hired on what we would do as part of that project.
0: I think like, you know, when I walked, uh, Arinda a few years ago, I, uh, I, I, I was really impressed with just the, you know, it, it's got its own distinct feel. And, and I think like the superintendent is usually kind of part of that. Can you talk about like, you know, kind of bringing out the identity of the place in your job and bringing out an identity at a golf course?
1: I feel like, you know, my very first couple green community meetings, I was like, you know, my goal would be to make this place as natural looking as possible and as unique as we can make it like make it different than any course within, any number of miles over here. So first thing we did was pull off all the green plastic. Like there's no green plastic, anything that you could buy online. Let's like, let's not have it. Let's start making our own wood signs. Let's make our own wood stakes. And not, not like I was the, the brain behind that ever. Like we did that at Cal club and it, I painted all the signs at Cal club and was pushing that, but I wasn't the first, but that's what we were going to do here. It was like, make it feel like a state park rather than a golf course that you'd find on golf now. And, this property lends itself to being super unique. Um, and since you've been, been gone, we've got more short grass. And so it's a hilly neighborhood, but the, the routing is such that it's totally walkable. Each hole is unique and it's not that hilly of a golf course, but having some of that terrain with the short grass uh, challenges people to no, to no end. So you got a not even 6,500 yard, yard golf course. is really hard to score on. Uh, I liken it to abandoned trails, like super fun off the tee, really hard to score because around the green, it's like you can get in all kinds of trouble. So,
0: it, so while you've been here, uh, you know you you got you you're doing painting still, but you've also got a uh, golf bag business that you started. Uh, flag bag i'm sure everybody's seen it it's been carried at the masters by uh lucas michelle you know it's uh you seem to you know it seems to be very popular i see them all over at clubs everywhere and the whole idea is upcycling old golf flags but how did how did the idea kind of come to to reality and you know you, you you didn't have enough time on your hands so you got you started another uh another little side hustle
1: yeah, I mean I've been at those those really nice clubs, right? I've been at San Francisco and I've been at Cal Club and Claremont and things and and there was never a place for the old flags. You just they'd go into a box and they just collect dust. And, and
0: the superintendent is the one that deals with the, the flags. The superintendent like, deals with them. And they're and, super cool. Everybody people collect flags.
1: Yeah, people collect them and then, you know, they usually just sit in a box in a closet and then they they pile up and then it'd be like time to th- clean the clean the closet out and throw them away and I I'd never throw any away and I'd always try and save them. And, um, then once I got here, same thing, you know, I'm my, I'm the own, I'm the superintendent and I get to make the decision where the flags go. And here I got a box building up over here. And then, you know, crazy enough, Mark Doss, the longtime head pro at Cal club. And then now at a or at Arinda, when I got here, uh, he came down with 22 new flags from the men's invitational. he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with these. Like I, I don't have enough to give them out. Can you, can you find something to do with these? And I don't know if that moment it just triggered, but he's like, I said, yeah, give me those. I can do something with these. And I wasn't going to put them on the golf course. And I thought, well, I'll make a little quiver for my daughters who are like four and five. I'll make a tiny little golf bag out of these. And I probably thought about that for six months and was like, I'm not going to be able to do that. I have no sewing experience and I've never, I don't have time. And and I was driving the spray rig. I was spraying the third, the fourth green. And I, and I had a friend that, owned McKenzie golf bags for 15, 14 years, 13 or 14 years. And I've had a McKenzie golf bag since I was 13. I used to buy the blemished leather ones because it was right near my house in Lake Oswego, Oregon. So I have a photo of me at Christmas with a cherry red leather McKenzie. And, um, and I'd met the owner after that. And that there was two owners previously that I knew briefly. And then the, the, the owner for that period is named Todd, Todd Rohr. And we'd had a long time friendship and I pull off to the side of the fourth green. I'm like, I'm just gonna text Todd about this idea I had. So I texted him. I said, Hey, have you ever thought about building a golf bag where the body is made up of flags? He's like, No, that's kind of neat. You want to send me some flags? I was like, Yeah, I want to send you some flags. So the next day, I sent him some flags. Um, they were this bag right here. So this is the uh, that's the original prototype, and these are just numbered flags from Arinda, and. It took about seven months to get the first bag made. And um, I was going up to Oregon to help move my dad into a care home. And and I said, Todd, you want to grab a beer You know, while I'm up there? He's like, yeah, I got something I want to show you too. And so he brings this bag to the public golf course that I grew up playing. We had a beer. And uh, I was like, he showed me his leather bag, McDonald leather bag, because he's got a new company now um and i love that and then he's like here's here's your bag and i was like man this is going to be a hit like we might need to have another meeting in two days because i I can see this being very popular these are just numbers but you're going to see logos on that all of us love like i've never been a big logo person i even remember every golf course i've been at we've just had numbers i mean at cal club they let me decide what we were going to do for the flag i'm like we're just doing numbers there's no logo so i was like anti-logo on flags you know and Ironically, now having a logo is so key to this business, um, but we had a bit uh, a meeting on Sunday and I asked my brother, hey, want to come to this meeting because I'm not going to have time to do this, but it'd be cool to have some help. And so we all had a meeting and um, decided what, what our plan was going to be. And for two and a half months, I was texting guys like you and uh, other superintendents, Kyle Hegland, you know, Bill Eddie national golf links just people that i knew at the best clubs um and uh old sandwich sean over at old sandwich like hey you can't share this idea but i've got this idea and here's what it would look like and if you have any old flags we'd love to like make a prototype from your flags and kind of show you what that looks like and you know kyle haggland's like holy shit that's really cool and then bill selling it, he's like jesus that's a great idea i've got all kinds i got 10 years worth of flags yeah and um, and so no, it's was, it was so exciting. And it was it was we planned to launch it uh, April Fool's Day uh, when the pandemic first started, whatever year that was. And we were a little late. We thought we'd have eight to ten bags at that point. April Fool's Day passed, and we had like three bags. I'm like, well, we can't launch with three bags. And a few days later, we had you know probably eight bags. And it's like, all right, we don't have a website yet, but let's go ahead and throw this up idea out there. And uh, my brother worked on the website over the next two two days we stayed up that first night you know just fielding dms because it was like we everyone was really into the idea it was like the
0: the thrill the thrill of uh, early success is you know there's this like a um so this thing that goes through your body, like like when you when you when you know you hit something and you you've got an idea that you're a passionate about that other people are passionate about, is is a beautiful thing. So you know, and, and I think that one of the cool things about it is like when you kind of think about. You know the future of of uh, of society in general is taking something that is as you know and re- reusing it is a beautiful thing about it. Um, how many flags does it take to make the bag? Like how you know does it and and how do you you know how do you. I guess, come up with the bag design itself. Like what did you wanted it to be a quiver? You wanted it to be like that, that McKenzie style Walker. Um, but like, how did everything, you know, in, in, you know, how have they held up? Like I've, I've just, I've got so many questions.
1: Yeah. They've, they've actually, I mean, they've held up really well. Um, we, so Todd Rohr, who runs McDonald leather goods, he was the, you know, the guy that put it together and it was like my idea. And then he kind of brought brought it to a vision. He brought
0: like kind of the engineering aspect. He brought the engineering how to, into how to build a golf bag. Yeah,
1: and I'm not sure anything he gave me was going to be the wrong thing. It was just going to be like, yeah, this will work. Like yeah. that's going to work. I know it'll work because um, these things are meant to be outdoors. They're they're durable. You know, they have some bird poop once in a while, and they're sun bleached, but they're strong. Now that doesn't mean we don't throw a liner on them to make them stronger. And then um, upholstery grade leather and all these cool like steel fi- fixtures that make it, you know, is what it is. Um, but no, I mean, we've had just some crazy success stories with it. Um, we haven't made a ton of money, right? It's not like I'm going to quit my day job, but um, it's so fun to have these three different things. Um, they've held up really well. Um, one of the coolest stories is that um, two of the larger sports and apparel companies in the world in the West Coast, Pacific Northwest, Beaverton, the CEO of the, the, the company based in Beaverton, that shoe company, he bought one off the wall at a really nice golf club and, and emails with us how much he likes it. The guy that runs Columbia Sportswear also bought two bags and loves it. So you're getting the buy in from the guy that can have anything. Yeah. Uh, he wants the game worn, you know, flag with the green stains on it from, uh, you know flying for a year and a half at, at this this or that golf club.
0: Well, I mean that's one of the cool things we just talked about how like creating a um a feel for your golf course that's different than everything else. Like one of the things with with worn used flags is that it guarantees that my bag isn't going to look like anybody else's bag. Like it's my bag. Like it's different than everybody else's. And there's no way to replicate one of these. Right.
1: No, that's part of the fun of it. And then we're, you know, I'm still designing every bag at night with, you know, we do like six to 10 bags a week right now, probably. But I'm designing each one with Todd and uh, we're going through text messages and sending back ideas and
0: What goes into the design? Is it taking all, like, I'm guessing people send you boxes of flags. Then how do you design it down from that?
1: Uh, So, yeah, to answer your earlier question, it's three, it's usually three to six flags. We've built some bags that have two flags, one flag. Normally it's three to six. Aaron Oberholzer's bag has eight flags. We don't recommend doing that. It's a little more work, <laughs> but no, it's, I mean, you can just do whatever. You could have 22 I flags. Mean, I mean, client. You could have 22 <laughs> flags. It's just amazing. So, but no, I typically, you know, um, we lay out a few different flag patterns and um, you know, I like to have like one of the higher contrast, stronger flags up top. And then once we get a flag layout, then we lay out the leather colors and, you know, we probably have 14 different leather colors that will throw in there and and then i'll take it home and like photoshop some other colors into it if i have time because if you lay out every leather color it takes a little it's a little tedious but um yeah and then you know beyond the golf bag we're we're hoping to have you know a duffel bag soon got that product going we've got head covers we've got valuables pouches we've got this little rain this is like a shag bag thing what's this this is like a carry-all bag you know the size of a flag that's clear creek um, but no, I think, I think it's kind of endless. Like you, you can do a shoe bag where we, we have hopes to do a bunch of different price points. Cause the, the golf bag itself is not cheap. Um, you know, six months into business, the AT&T, the AT&T Pro-Am had us make 170 bags to go to like the Bill Murray's, the Peyton Manning's, uh, everyone that, and they, and Jim Nance is talking about me on TV and I'm just like <laughs> six months in, this is crazy.
0: It, I imagine that was one of those moments where you you say yes and then you're immediately like oh god how are we gonna do this
1: yeah and the, and you know to everyone's credit we got it done um, can it you was,
0: t- tell tell us a little bit about like what you guys were having to do to get that I imagine the production turnaround was really you know you're talking about doing six to six to ten a month right now and then you you get a hundred seventy bag order yeah no
1: six to ten a week but a week, but huh. no uh, the hundred seventy they we had to call in some back up and and todd and the, the team up in oregon my brother up there but uh had to pull in a few different people i think there was a couple ladies in washington stitching golf bags for us and man matt and i he drove them down from portland and we laid them all out in monterey and i mean i we didn't see a, a stitch out of place and um uh no it's very very cool
0: very cool yeah i i've I've heard a lot of clubs uh, they do the bags as like gifts for member guest winners or you know stuff like that and and it lends itself really well because it you know it makes it where somebody has to achieve something to get it and it it makes like it also creates an aspirational brand for you guys which is which is really cool yeah it's uh so you know we'll uh Well, wait and see what's next, you know, like turf is, uh, is a huge part of your life, but it's so cool because it's just one of many different facets of your life. That's all been revolved around a love of golf, really.
1: Right. I mean, I'm what's next hopefully is that I'm here for many years because I love being outdoors and I love what we're doing at Orinda. So I I have no plans to change that anytime soon. Um, but it's just been fun to have three different ways that you can, you know, make some money and you're
0: passionate about each. So it's flagbag.com right where people can inquire.
1: flagbaggolfco.com yeah
0: flagbaggolfco.com you're on twitter and instagram josh uh joshua c smith right joshua cf smith cf smith yeah. I, i'm at that on both of those and then uh arinda's just a up in uh, you know the hills of the East Bay here in San Francisco those are the ways people can uh, find you get a hold of you the painting is, are the paintings just commissions done through Instagram and Twitter i have part? a website
1: joshuasmithart.com um and i think every painting on there is sold but i've been doing commissions pretty regularly you know about every third painting i'll try and throw in something that i want to paint mhm um, And yeah, I
0: imagine that's something that's important as a, as a artist. Like you, you do stuff for other people all the time and eventually you want to do, you know, you need to do something that you want to paint.
1: That's right. And, um, you know, prioritizing the, it's for me, I've got two young daughters, uh, eight and seven right now. One's going to turn nine, but it's like family first. Then it's a Renda country club. Then it's been flag bag and the paintings have taken that fourth leg. And uh, I expect the painting. I'll spend more time painting in this next couple of years. But it's. Do you sleep? Like what, I, d- what you I definitely sleep. I'm a, I don't <laughs> stress very much. I sleep at ten o'clock, and I wake. I'm here at five thirty. Um, but uh, I I have you know kind of sidebared the paintings, which makes me a little sad. But the bag has been so fun that uh, you know spending evenings doing some bag stuff has been pretty good. I
0: mean, before you blink, you're going to be an empty nester, and then you're going to be painting up a storm again. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on, Josh.
1: Uh, Thank you. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode was edited by the wonderful Meg Atkins. Thank you, Meg. As a quick reminder, one of the best things you can do is sign up for the fried egg newsletter if you like golf this is this is for you if you're casually into golf this is for you also it is a three day a week newsletter it it keeps you up to date on everything going on in the world of golf in just a couple minutes unlike most newsletters Everything you're going to read is right in there. So you don't have to click out. It's not linking out to other articles where you get bombed with ads. Everything's right in the newsletter. That's the beauty of it. So sign up at thefriedegg.com. There's a little sign up button there. It says, you know, sign up for our free newsletter. And uh, thank you for listening to another episode. We will be back later this week with a new episode.